Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers. If you'd like to engage the show, you can always reach me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Last week, I hosted with my partner, Carrie Lutz, of the Financial Survival Network, a live investor summit that featured Jamie Keach, analyst and lead investor, uh, mining financier with Resource Insider and president and CEO, Ken Barry of Northern Vertex Mining, America's newest uh, gold producer. If you were unable to attend that event, I'm going to put a link in the show notes below and you can uh, access the recording of that event through the link in the show notes below. And I do want to read to you before I bring on today's guest, that's Brian Lenny of Junior Stock Review. I'd like to read to you a uh, paragraph here, a section of an email I got from a well-respected PhD who's also a shareholder of Northern Vertex who watched the presentation. He writes, good intro by Jamie Keach and good presentation by Ken Berry. I agree with Carrie Lutz's comment that it's rare to have management present the good, bad, and the ugly about a project. Ken comes across much differently from the typical VSE-type promoter. He comes across as honest and a person who is going to steer the company through all the startup challenges into a long-term profitable company. I look forward to the news releases about the westward expansion on trend as well as on other BLM land. I'll continue to accumulate on the pullbacks. Thank you. So I just read that to you to let you know if you you uh, haven't been on these live webcasts before, make sure when you get the invitation, if you're not on our list, sign up for our list. We'll give you the invitations. And if you get the invitations, do make an effort to attend one of them because half of the presentation is actually engaging the management through a live Q&A, question and answer. And that's something that you'll be able to do through this venue. And it's something you do if you go to conferences. Well, next week is the Sprott Conference, and so I reached out to my friend Brian Lenny of Junior Stock Review. I asked him to come on the show today to share with us how he engages management live in person at these conferences and what specific things that you can get as an investor that you wouldn't be able to get from a phone call to management over the phone, uh, if you call up the company, or through their presentation on their website. With that being said, Brian, welcome back to the show. And what are some of the key things that, that you really seek to ascertain when you're engaging management at these shows? That's a great question. I, I think first and foremost, the, the thing you get by going to the conference is that in-person feel um, for who these people are. Um, you know, you're giving them your money when uh, you make an investment. So knowing who they are, I think, is really important. And, um, yeah, so when you go through your questions, uh, you know, you kind of form an opinion of of where the company is headed. And then you start to dig down on, you know, who these people exactly are. Um, you know, it can be pretty formal at the booth. Uh, but one of the interesting things, and the upcoming Sprott Conference is, is a good example, um, there's typically cocktail hours. And I think these are great opportunities to kind of be informal. Um, with the uh, management teams and kind of, you know, learn who they are and, you know, what makes them tick. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, they, they never drop their, um, I guess, guard, so to speak. But uh, a lot of people, you get to know them better. And uh, I think that that plays huge into, you know, understanding where what the capability of that person is. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm recalling back when I was a young man in college and my grandmother advised me, she said, Bill, when you're a looking to uh, for a potential spouse, don't just observe that person in context with their friend, but observe that person in context with, with you alone, in context with their own family unit that they came from, in, in context with uh, your family, because you really want to see how someone interacts in a, in a variety of settings. Uh, with that being said, 
when you're engaging these management, and like you said, whether it's the cocktail hour when people's guards maybe are a little down, what other things do you look for in observation of how the management team handles themselves at these conferences? Uh, well, one of the things that I, I find useful um, after I've kind of gone through my set of questions that I do, um, I still like to hang around the booth and uh, listen to the management team deal with other people. Um, and actually, like the Sprock Conference again last year was a, a great example of how this kind of paid dividends. Um, I'm listening to hear if the story is staying consistent, um, how the how the company answers the questions. You know, some of them some of them are. I guess some people say there's no bad questions. I think there are, but it's it's interesting to see how the company deals with with those kind of questions, or maybe something that's more controversial. Um, so you know, yeah, I, I take a lot from from just observing, and it's you know seeing what other investors are asking, and you know I definitely forget stuff. You know, when you're in the the midst of a conversation, it's easy to forget something that's important. Um, so hanging around and listening to what other investors have to ask, I think, can pay huge dividends um, into your investment choices. Yeah. Who do you like to speak to, when, whether it's the investor relations, corporate development person or the CEO or uh, the VP of exploration or a project geologist? It's it's very interesting. I can recall PDAEC going booth to booth. That's my favorite thing to do is just to spend two days and just go visit all the booths. Talking to a geologist who was uh, very passionate and knowledgeable about a certain project, but he had no idea about the capital structure. I asked him how many shares were outstanding and what was the market cap, and he didn't even know that answer. So obviously within a management team, there's different people that you can get different information from, but Generally speaking, who would be the one person that you'd want to engage at a booth? Uh, for me, it's the CEO. And uh, in, in terms of my, especially first interactions with companies, I want to talk to the boss first and see what his vision is. Um, and then if the criteria, whether it's capital structure, if all those things are in place and I want to you know, dive deeper into the, the ge geology of the, the project, then that's those specialists come in handy. Um, because you're right, you know, typically there is some, uh, you know, people are so focused on their one aspect of the company um, that they can't really step out of it. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. But yeah, the CEO is my, is my first person that I want to talk to. And then if that goes well, then talking to the geos um, or if, if depending on what stage they're at, a mining engineer um, are definitely people that I want to talk to further. Both of us will be at the Sprout Conference next week. And at that conference, there's, I think, 60 or so presenting companies or exhibitors. And as Rick Rule often points out, these are companies that Sprott invests in. So he considers them more than just sponsors, but they're actually presenters. And uh, that there's been a vetting process and that Sprott has vetted these companies before they offered them the invitation to participate. That is remarkably different than, let's say, the PDAC, where you're going to have like 500 exhibitors, you know, 10 times the amount of exhibitors. What what do you like about Sprott compared to PDAC? Or is there any benefit for you, you know, spending the two days, as I mentioned, going through talking, or at least looking at 500 plus companies? Yeah, it was, well, it's totally different feel. It's uh, probably mean much more intimate, meaning that your ability to talk to the companies because there's you know a fraction of what they are at PDAC um, is is much better and you know they've got those cocktail hours where you can get much more informal with people. The other side to it, it is an interesting uh, group of people that 
uh, ten Sprott. Um, and I think this is, you know, typically with the people that I've met with uh, the size of their portfolio, these people have really interesting uh, backgrounds and views on the sector. And I, I personally really enjoy it, um, particularly about the Sprott conference, meeting these people. And then I'm talking about fellow investors here. Um, the other side to it is they are, you know, by and large, a very good group of uh, companies. And um, if you were going to start looking for someone new to start looking in the market, a conference like Sprott, where many of these companies are, have been vetted, um, you know, it's it's a great place to start. You know, sometimes when we're seeing people and engaging them at the booths, we may be turned off by turned on or turned off by what we see and experience. I can think back a couple years to PDAC when I was um, engaging a company, an uh, early stage exploration company, and for right or for wrong, the three men that were manning the booth were all, I would say, probably in their mid-70s, and that was a turnoff to me just by the sake I'm asking myself, what is the the long-term plan here if the management, albeit experienced, and they could be the most honest guys in the world, I'm wondering about the future of this company and their ability to succeed because of their age and the management team collectively was so old. You know, that was a turnoff to me. Have you ever experienced something like that? Or what would be another example of something that you would pick up in person that would be, you know, an immediate turnoff? Well, you know, you know, I'll, I'll answer it like this. I think it depends what you want. Um, if you, if you are very focused and you know exactly it is, what it is you're looking for in terms of your investment, then I think it's much easier to be kind of turned off by certain things. Um, for me personally, I'm sort of, my goal is to make money and whether that's a short-term investment, long-term investment, um, or, you know, a short on a company, because that's the other thing, you know, even though you talk to a company, you don't like what they have to say. Um, maybe there's another way you can make money from that. Maybe it's shorting the company instead of, you know, investing for the long term or, or on the positive side of things. So I think depending on your perspective, um, you can glean a, a number of different information and apply it to a profitable trade. Uh, for me personally, I, I, I try to be as agnostic as possible and listen to who's ever, whoever wants to talk. And I last, or at least over the last couple of years, that has really done me well to not to be too discriminating when I look at a booth and, um, you know, look at the marketing material and it's subpar, you know, I've, I've seen some great companies that do not know how to market their company and vice versa. I've seen companies that have amazing, uh, marketing and then there's not really much substance to them. So I think if you keep, uh, an open mind or if you're very focused, um, that can help you either delineate who you talk to or um, you can stay more broad and you never know what kind of opportunity you can find. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. Are there questions that you bring to these one-on-one interactions at the booth that maybe you wouldn't 
uh, bring if you were talking to the management over the phone. What I'm getting at is, are there kind of some non-traditional or non-standard questions that you might ask, you know, generally when you're doing your due diligence for a company that you would ask in the context of a 20-minute conversation standing there at their booth? You know, I think going back to my own experience, I would say this. On a phone call, it's very formal, at least for me. Um, typically, I don't get much into um, anything personal, whereas at a booth or in that type of social setting, I might go into the the personal side of stuff or bring something up about myself and see if the other per- how the person reacts to that. Um, and I would only really do that in person. Um, the other thing is uh, reading body language um, is is it, if you can do it can really help and i think that's another thing that you you get um in person versus over the phone you can see how the person reacts if you do ask um a more controversial question or something that points to a weak point of the company and see how defensive or non-defensive the person gets um i think those are the, the bigger takeaways um in terms of i don't think besides the personal stuff i don't think i i change the questions that i ask you um, have a very thought out and calculated approach to due diligence, not just at these conferences, but you were recently on a site tour in Brazil. Can you share with us about that? Sure. Yeah. I, the opportunity, um, there's a company I invested in early earlier this year, and um, they're doing a, in the midst of a feasibility study. And I got the opportunity to go down to Brazil and see their uh, Mara Rosa project, which is, which is in the northern part of the Goya state. I think that's how you say it. Um, this is a really uh, mining friendly region of uh, Brazil. There's within 100 kilometers, I think there's like six different mines, all different uh, metal types. Um, so and it's also a part of Brazil I'd never been to. So I was interested to see what that dynamic was. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. They're in the midst of completing some metallurgical work, which will be applied to their feasibility study. I got to see the site um, of you know, where the open pit mine is going to be. And in particular, what I thought was interesting um, from a number of perspectives was the talk on tailings. Um, most people have heard of the, the tragic events, uh, you know, earlier this year in Brazil, tailings dam collapsed. I think it killed around 300 people. And uh, so basically what the Brazilian government is, is talking about doing is banning tailings dams for new construction. And while I understand, you know, the, the tragic events, I think for... Um, you know, an all-out ban on tailings dams can have more ramifications than the government realizes. And I think it's sort of a knee-jerk reaction. But there are some um, ways you can go about dealing with no tailings dam. And what Amarillo is doing um, proactively is pursuing one of these things. And it's a horizontal filtration system that essentially removes the moisture content from the tailings and creates these uh, mats. So these mats have to be stored the very similar way in aligned um, area and uh, the, the difference being that the low moisture content, you know, once they seal this thing up, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. So that was another interesting thing. And it was interesting to see where that was going to be placed as, you know, the, the PFS uh, tailings dam um, had it all laid out and they're going to reuse that site and, converted into this uh, this mat storage area. The the other interesting thing about this company is they're currently trading at roughly um, 10% of their after-tax NPV. And to me, I think there's a stigma that goes along with Brazil that 
you know, it's, 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 it's very uh, risky, which I think there are some definite risks. Uh, Yar Bolsonaro um, just became president. Uh, for those that don't know, they call him the, the Trump of the South or Trump of Brazil. And he's got some very right-leaning policies. And for me, I, when, I, when I view this, I think it'll be very good for the Brazilian economy. And he's already taken steps. And uh, one of the big things that he's done is he's pushed this pension reform bill um, through Parliament. And, you know, I think this is going to be a great step in the right direction. It definitely doesn't solve anything, but I think it speaks to a, a sort of a change in Brazil. Um, and then the caveat to that being, although I, I see a change in, within his four-year term, long term, I think Brazil will go right back to where they were, you know, because that culture, you know, they take hundreds of years to change. But given all this, um, I think the uh, the price-to-risk ratio that, that Amarillo presents, um, it's well worth any risk that it's associated with the jurisdiction. The Mara Rosa project has an NPV at 5% of U.S. $244.3 million at U.S. 1,300-ounce gold, $1,300 per ounce gold. Of course, gold is much higher uh, than that now, so then the NPV is going to be higher. Uh, you mentioned the 10% of its uh, PFS. The market cap of the company is trading at less than 10% of the NPV laid out in this uh, pre-feasibility study. Had you, have you done a study when, before you invested in this company? You obviously went there. Uh, you told me before the recording you participated in one of the financings uh, for this company. Did you do a comparison of other uh, projects that are at the pre-feasibility stage in Brazil and in South America to see, generally speaking, what is the market cap relative to the MPV of its core project? You know, honestly, I didn't. Um, for this this project, uh, a friend had told me to, to take a look, and I, I took a look, and I actually was quite interested. I did a discounted cash flow model, and um, there it's, it's extremely robust. Like, you can drop the gold price down quite a bit, um, like I think I was using 1200 originally, like earlier this year, and you can up that discount factor to, you know, 10 or 15% and you're still getting good economics. And that's what I really liked about it, you know, on its own. And the fact that it was trading at such a small multiple, um, you know, I just at the time, it didn't really matter to me what the other ones were trading at. I think more so as we move along, um, you know, what, what is this actually worth? I think that becomes more of a question. Um, but when you're trading for less than 10% of the after-tax MPV and you're cashed up at the moment and doing the feasibility study, I, I think that there's a good case um, for undervaluing uh, at the current moment. At the pre-feasibility feasibility stage, there's arguably less catalyst that'll really move the share price strongly. Strongly, Perhaps the strongest catalyst would be external to the company, that being the price of gold. How do you view the upcoming catalyst for uh, Amarillo Gold? Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question. It's one that I've been asking myself. You know, the company currently sits um, in that kind of orphan stage, I guess I've, I've heard people call it, you know, just before production or just before that kind of construction um, question. Um, I, you know, in terms of uh, catalyst, the biggest thing I see is it's the, the biggest question mark for the Marosa project is its metallurgy. Um, it's complex. But in saying that, I, I got to see the, the amount of tests and data that the company has produced on how to um, extract the gold. And I'm quite confident that this next metallurgical work that's going to be coming out, I think, before the end of the year, I think, to me at least, this is a huge step 
um, into proving that this this project can work. Um, I think the economics are quite clear that if that process works, that this is going to be a profitable gold mine. So to me, that metallurgical work is probably the biggest catalyst. And the other um, catalyst that I that I see at the moment, um, and it, I don't invest because of this, but I think a higher gold price um, just makes this project more and more attractive. And once that metallurgical stuff is is dealt with, I think the market will come to recognize it. What percentage of your portfolio right now is in this uh, developer stage category, Brian? It would probably be around 5%, maybe a little bit higher. So you're mostly in early stage exploration or producers. How, do, how What's the breakdown like? Uh, you know, I don't even keep track of it. To me, it's just where I see I can make money. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I... Um, yeah, I've, I've just done better that way instead of having like a concrete way of splitting up my money. Um, it's wherever I see value and, and the, the chance for profitability linked in with that kind of risk adjustment, you know, and um, I think compared to most, I probably am more willing to take uh, risk on. And for those that are not as familiar with Brian, Brian is a full-time mining investor. So when he invests his money, this is how he provides for his family. He was a former uh, engineer and was successful with selling his house and then taking that money and uh, I believe at least tripling it back in 2016. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. And your website is Junior Stock Review. Make sure you're on Brian's email list. I'm going to put a link to this uh write-up, site visit write-up of Amarillo Gold that Brian was at a couple weeks ago in Brazil. So you can have a link to that article and that'll take you to Brian's website, juniorstockreview.com. When you're there, make sure you get on his email list. He has a lot of quality, free content that he he writes up his site visits, lets you know some companies he's investing in, as well as does quality interviews. I'm looking, there's one recent one here with Rick Gruhl and and, uh, financiers, Mark O'Day. Uh, So make sure you're on Brian's list. Brian, as always, I appreciate our conversation. Thank you for your insights. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education Podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.